Welcome to the Women of the West podcast, exploring the trials and bliss of women blazing trails for themselves through the Western way of life. Angela Meyer is a full-time country music artist and yoga instructor out of Iowa. Listen in as we talk about what her life looks like, what it means to be cowboy enough, and as she says, some other hippy-dippy things. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. Angela was such a sweet gal, and I really learned a lot from her. Thanks so much for listening. And so how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm drinking coffee on a beautiful porch in Colorado, so I'm doing good. <laughs> oh my gosh, you win. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you at right now? Iowa? I see. Yes, I'm at home in Iowa. Um, we're getting ready to go to a rodeo in Des Moines. So we're just kind of packing up, seeing the, if we can get laundry done in time or just quit while we're ahead, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> Nobody will know if you're Wranglers or, you know, third day Wranglers, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. My boyfriend has like a whole process that I still haven't caught on to yet as to what jeans are dirty, but they're still going to be worn for a few days. And then if I wash those, you know, too soon, it's definitely like kind of a, a temperamental point of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so is Iowa home home base for you then? Full-time it or? is. Yeah. Yep. So I was born and raised in Des Moines and then we moved over to the Quad Cities when I was in elementary school and we lived here ever since. But yeah, as much as I would sometimes love to move elsewhere, this is definitely home. <laughs> Well, and it seems like your music takes you to a lot of different places, right? I mean, are it you does. touring quite a bit or, I mean, what's your, what's um, no your life look like? Yet. What's your schedule? Okay. Right. Um, so no touring yet, but I definitely, I'll do like longer trips where I'm just kind of gone to somewhere random for a week. So like this fall, I'll be in New York for a week. And then later in the fall, I'll be in New Mexico for a week. And so I take these little trips, you know, that kind of give me, time to get away. But at the same point, I'm not gone for two months at a time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And that's got to work. So do you, you're also a full-time yoga instructor. I am. Yeah. I teach anywhere from five to 15 hours a week. I love teaching yoga. And even when I'm on the road, sometimes I'll just call up like a random barn and just ask them if I can come teach at their facility. <laughs> So we'll have like barn yoga classes or goat yoga classes, um, just wherever in the U.S. Oh, how fun. Yeah, it's so fun. And so when you're home in Iowa, do you do a lot of private yoga? You know, like you contract yourself out to certain like studios or gyms. I don't really know how that works. Or do you just kind of. Yeah. So I'm, I'm basically a contractor. Um, mm-hmm. I teach at Backwards Yoga, which is in Eldridge, Iowa. And we just, you know, I teach there most of my classes a week. And then I also do stable vibes yoga, which is my yoga for horseback riders. So that's a lot of it's online now, which is really nice. Um, so people from anywhere in the world can join in. Um, but I do a lot of stuff actually in people's barns too. So just kind of around the quad cities where I live. And uh, yeah, it's been really great. Oh my gosh, how fun. If I'm ever in Iowa, I'm calling you. I want to do some barn yoga. Right? You totally should. Because <laughs> most people are like, you know, they're not comfortable with a yoga studio, but everybody's comfortable in the barn. So we just kind of <laughs> take everything in the barn and it gets a little dirty sometimes with, you know, hay and 
manure and such, but it's just such a good time. Yeah, it it can definitely be pretty intimidating walking into a yoga class, especially right. You know, it's just if you don't know the people or the place. Yeah, it, it's really intimidating to go do that by yourself. It is, it is, and I totally remember that as you know, I just started doing it four years ago, and so I remember that feeling so well that I try and really be cognizant of that when I'm teaching beginners or inviting people to the studio to make them feel super welcome because it is really just awkward the first few times you go. Yeah. And how did you get into being a yoga instructor? Yeah. So I, um, my friend dragged me to my first class, to be honest, it was, um, a hot yoga class. So it was 105 degrees. It was terrible. I felt so weak the entire time. And I left there just feeling like I would never do another class, but, um, I was going through some stuff at the time. I'd just been through a breakup And so it gave me something to do. And every time I left there, I just felt like a little bit better. And so that's what kind of kept me going. And then as I was taking yoga classes, I realized that my lower back pain was like really bad, more than just back pain. And so I switched to a different chiropractor and she asked me when I broke my back. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she told me that I have a broken L5 vertebrae. Um, it's a condition called spondylolisthesis. And so at that point in time, that was in 2016. And I really figured out that like, I can either continue to pay for yoga, or I can start to teach it. And, you know, kind of be this a little bit more of an inspiration to these people that think they can't do it for whatever reason, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, an injury like mine, or it's, you know, they're dealing with um, struggles with their weight or struggles with their mental health or their relationships or their finances kind of telling people that, you know, yoga is really for everybody. And if I can do it with a broken back, why can't you? Gosh, that's got to be a surprise to have someone say, when did you break your back? (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah. It takes away a lot of the, well, I can't (laughs) out of yoga. Um, Yeah. I love sharing my story with people on my back and I don't know what I would do without yoga. I would probably have to get surgery and be on a lot of painkillers for the rest of my life. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I like to say I do yoga, but you know, like once a week, you know, but it's. <laughs> that totally counts. You know, I don't know if it does, but you know, it's just, you always <laughs> feel so much better. You know, it just, you do. it's crazy yeah. how disconnected you get from your body. And then all of a sudden you yes. got to touch your toes oh my and gosh, it yeah. brings you right back. Right. Yeah. Like this morning I went to a class at 530 and it's so hard to get out of bed. But after you leave, I mean, I've never once regretted going. It's just that first like, okay, get out of bed, get in the car, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you still take classes even though you're teaching? You know, or are I you do. mostly teaching? Oh, yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's. It's kind of like horseback riding or, I mean, music or anything. I'm, I'm always a student as much as I'm a teacher. I think you just always have to learn new things. And then you have people, you know, like my peers that I respect so much. I love to take classes and just pick up little tips from them and um, just kind of see what they do and how certain things work that I may not have thought about before. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really fun to go take classes with other people. Yeah, absolutely. You can always get better. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
totally. <laughs> the more you know, the less you know. Yeah. Kind of thing. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like being a beginner and being like ignorant to everything is so like ignorance truly is bliss. And then the more you learn, you're like, wow, <laughs> there is mm-hmm. so much I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I was during my uh, Instagram stalking of you, you know, um, I love that <laughs> post that you put up. Um, you know, the not cowboy enough thing. That was such a nice, yeah. nice post to read. And I'll definitely put a link in, in the episode because I think everybody needs to read it. But, you know, horses is that, you know, riding and that, that is such a true point for that. The more you know, the less you know. Yeah. Well, there's so many like people that just think they grew up around horses. And so somehow that knowledge just seeped into them. And a lot of times when you're immersed in that culture, you do pick up a lot. But there's other times that it's like, if you're not learning from all kinds of different people and like, I take dressage lessons once a week. I mean, I'm all over the board when it comes to horses. And I learned things about dressage that helped me with the ranch horses to keep them, you know, more fit to do their job and more healthy and flexible. And, you know, whether, whereas if they're just working all the time, they're going to get sore and their mind's not going to be there. And so I've really learned a lot from dressage actually. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's all about intentionally learning and you never know where you're going to pick up something that'll change your life, whether it be a dressage horse or who knows. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it so, helps you to build like relationships too with people to ask them if they have something to teach you. Like you never know who you're going to learn something from. And if nothing else, you're just allowing somebody else to be a teacher for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that really, that, you know, I think that's one of the quickest ways to build a relationship with somebody is just asking, you know, what do you know? What can you, what can you show me? What can you teach me? Because people always want to share. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you grow up riding horses later in life thing? Yeah. So I feel like it was really late in life. It was when I was seven years old. So I didn't, like, I didn't grow up. um, riding before I could walk or anything like that. But um, when we made the move over to the Quad Cities, my dad works for John Deere. And so um, John Deere's world headquarters is in the Quad Cities. And so the idea behind the move, kind of the bribe to get me to come was (laughs) to tell me that we could afford riding lessons. And so once we started coming over here, I got to ride, you know, a horse once a week. And that's all I had from ages seven to 11. And then I started leasing horses. I bought my first horse when I was 11. And then when I was 14, I got my first Appaloosa and he was, you know, registered. So I started playing around with the breed shows and just kind of went from there. Mm hmm. Fun. Okay. Later life, seven years old. Uh huh. Yeah. I know. Like at the time, it felt like everybody was already riding if they were going to ride. But looking back on it, I think that helped me so much to kind of have to earn it in a way. Like Mm -hmm. I chose to ride horses because so many of my friends that grew up around them, for whatever reason, whether it was going away to college or, you know, they kind of had to step back from horses. And I'm so lucky looking back that I never did step away from horses. Uh huh. But I don't think well, anybody really steps away. You know, like most people, they're going to find their way back if they really, you know, love the sport. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it goes to the cowboy enough thing, you know, you can, you definitely feel like the odd man out if you are up, you know, you're around all these ranch kids who, yeah. you know, 
just done it their whole lives and yeah, yeah, you know. Yes. Yes. But, oh, especially for me, like being around cows, that was something I didn't do until I was, you know, 21. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know how they sounded. I literally thought they mooed and they do, but like, mm-hmm. there's other noises that they make that I'm like, is that a dinosaur? Like that sounds nothing <laughs> like what I thought a cow <laughs> sounded like and being around rodeo. And I just kind of got thrown into the entire Western industry at the age of 21 and was like, oh my gosh, I'm completely in love more than just with, you know, I fell in love with a cowboy. So that's what introduced me to it. But it was this entire world that I was just exposed to all of a sudden. And it was really hard to be around cattle because they think different than a horse. I mean, they're herd animals, they're prey animals, they have that same mindset, but there's so many differences when it comes to cattle and especially the rodeo cows you can't mess around like <laughs> learning things when they also want to kill you. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's not like I was being introduced to really sweet, like cows that you could just love on. These guys are um, a little bit predatory. <laughs> uh huh. And your boyfriend raises bucking bulls, right? He does. Yeah. Him and his family, um, they do raise bucking bulls and it's such a neat thing to be around. I love the calves. We actually had one in our house last winter. <laughs> That was a bottle calf. So I'm, I'm always selfishly hoping for a bottle calf every year, but I know that's not ideal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that's definitely a, uh, quite the leap. No cows to bucking bulls. I can imagine that's a learning curve. (laughs) Right, right. And it's like, you know, it, it kept me going because I wanted to be helpful. Like I think there is a big part of the Western industry that there is so much to be romanticized about this industry. Like it's the imagery of it is beautiful and the, the people are so cool and it's like just this badass like all around experience, but to really be an asset to a ranch and to be an asset as a, as a hand is something different than just being in love with rodeo. You know, there's such a big Mm -hmm. difference there. And for me, it was like, okay, how can I help? Um, how can I be an asset rather than um, just kind of being a bump on a log or a pretty face on the fence? I wanted to dive in, but at the same point, I didn't want to um, break bones and, you know, have to sit out on playing music because I got smashed by a cow. So <laughs> there was like a balance there. Yeah. Fine line. Fine line. Right. Right. Because <laughs> there's not well, a lot of room for air. <laughs> no, there's not. And even when there's, you know, when you think you're in the clear, you're really not. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And there's still things that it's like, you know, we'll go right out into the pasture and I'm like, are you sure? (laughs) There's still definitely that apprehension there of kind of doubting uh, safety. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's just, yeah, the more, you know, when you know better, you do better, but there's a long time before you know better you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else was I thinking? Yeah. I was, I'm reading this book right now. It's actually really good, but it's like, uh, stories of like Montana ranch women in like the early 20th century. And nice. you know, just the shit that they had to do. Oh my God. Yeah. Churning yeah. butter all day, you know, right. like having 40 right. kids yeah. and just like, you know, in this very, our world is changing very quickly. And in this model, you know, like the ranching families, ranching heritage, or even just people who choose to live like a Western 
lifestyle, you know, most of society is so disconnected from that. And yeah. it's, you know, ranching, there's still, still a lot of the old ways present. And it's, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about how much things have changed. And Oh, yeah. You and know, at the thank same God point, I'm not. Like, at the same point, like, it's been a hundred years, but it's like, that's only a hundred years. In our whole mm-hmm. history of human culture, that's that's not a long time. And things are changing so fast, especially the role of women is mm-hmm. a huge, huge change in the last hundred years. And now it's like, I mean, we're not churning butter for the most part, but <laughs> even just, you know, having kids and seeing how your role changes as a mother and becoming a ranch wife and, you know, having a baby on your hip while you're trying to do these things. It's it's so different than what used to be expected mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and it's it'll be i think it'll be even more interesting to see over our you know our lifetimes yeah what you know what the face of ranching looks like and who knows what the rest of the world too but right <laughs> <laughs> trying to like shut a screen yeah. door so one of the barn cats right. doesn't come in on me <laughs> um and i guess it sounded like you got a lot of positive feedback from that like being cowboy enough post i did and it's so funny because you know like where i'm from we can run a cow calf pair on an acre and that's kind of been what's kept dean my boyfriend from moving anywhere else because of you know how great our our land is here and um, oh my gosh, I totally forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> That's okay. We can edit it. Uh, right. I'm see. like, hold on. Well, ask me your question again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I guess we we're just talking about, you had a lot of positive, positive feedback from that, like not cowboy enough post. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now I remember. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. I'm blonde. If you can't tell. Um, oh, that's all right. <laughs> But yeah, it's like people around here that are going to call themselves ranchers or farmers, maybe it's like 300 acres at most that we're talking about. And there's a lot of people that have over that, but there's a lot of people that have under that and boast about this ranch life and stuff. And I had people contacting me that run thousands and thousands of acres that still don't feel good enough to be Mm -hmm. considered cowboy or that have been riding their whole life. And for some reason, somebody made them feel, you know, whether they were wearing lipstick one of my favorite people is Adrian Buckaroo Girl. And like the things that she talks about and goes through and kind of the flack she gets from people because she wears lipstick or she dresses a certain way or, you know, it's just people are so hard on themselves. And I think we just have to remember, like, this is a dying industry <laughs> and we need to be like so inviting to people to come into it and just be nicer to each other. Um, this is a disappearing way of life. You know, so it just kind of scares me what people have to go through. Yeah, in order to, you know, feel like you've proven yourself, <clears throat> you know, and. Right. That's funny. That's my favorite story. My grandparents, total dudes, they like bought one square mile of like great grassland, bought a bunch of cows, started this ranch, you know, like didn't mean to buy cows, accidentally came home with 65 heifers from an auction. And this is in like the fifties and sixties, you know, and yeah. that's still a story I hear. My grandma, my grandma's always been a city gal 
and she would wear lipstick in the middle of freaking nowhere. She'd always have lipstick on when they'd move cows. <laughs> My dad always remembers that. Grandma always had a full, Aww. like, full, full set of lipstick on, but she always says, yep. you never know who you're going to see out there. That so, is true. Grandma Shirley says to do I it, think so it, <laughs> keep yeah. wearing your lipstick. <laughs> right. If grandma says it, you have to do it. That's mm-hmm. just the law. <laughs> you, you never know. You could run into the governor out there. Might have, might that need to have true. lipstick on. <laughs> well, I think it kind of changes like you, how you think of yourself too. Like when you know you look good, you think differently about yourself. And there are times like before we go do something like today, I'm doing my makeup right now. And it's like, you know, when you start to put your face on, you kind of like start to change a little bit and feel good about yourself. And that does change how you act towards the world (laughs) and maybe Mm -hmm. how much confidence you have when it comes to tackling something new or something difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And even I think yesterday I put on a really nice pair of earrings. I was just riding, just being, you know, filthy and just riding around and not doing anything fun. But I put on a really nice pair of earrings and I like felt way better, you know? Right. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I love that. You know, but it's all about what makes you feel good. And, you know, it's different. It's so different. It's funny how different it is between women. You know, some women. Yes. God, have never, never worn makeup in a thousand years. You know, one of my good friends after wrestling with her for years, I finally got her to buy some face lotion that has SPF in it. That's a big step for her, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but. Yeah. I am like kind of a makeup freak. And so I'll have friends even before they go to places will come over and I'll do their face. And it's so funny how people that have always shied away from makeup, once they get it on, they're like, Oh, okay. Like maybe they don't feel like themselves, but they still feel good. (laughs) Yeah. And it's fun to, you know, it's fun to play with. And it is like at the end of the day, it's, it's just makeup, (laughs) you know, like it washes off. It's going to be all Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Hey, unless you, you know, get one of those like botch, botch tattooed eyebrow jobs, you know? Ooh, that's true. I've seen some bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that but scares I, me. I, like I, being blonde, it has like my eyebrows are blonde. And so I've definitely thought about that. But oh man, it just, if you mess that up, like that's right on your face, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you can't go back oh, yeah. from that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. I can't. I think the lasers to get it off sounds even worse than the tattoo job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad that you had a lot of positive feedback because I think that that shows that that is a huge, that's a huge issue in the Western industry. And I think especially in women, you know, it's so many women are very competition minded. You know, you got to be better. You got to be the best or you. You gotta look nicer, run faster, ride harder, mm-hmm. what, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. That a lot of people just don't feel like they measure up and they're some of the coolest cowgirls I know. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that feel yeah. that way. And I totally, I will be the first to admit, I used to be that person and was so judgmental and, and hateful and resentful. And even if there was another female musician and I was like, why? I looked around and I'm like, when I have questions about something in my industry, who do I go to? And it was always like older men. And I'm like, why don't I have any peers? And it's because I'm shutting them all out. And I was Mm -hmm. afraid for some reason, like, because they have a spot, that means I don't have a spot. 
And it's taken me so long to realize that there is enough money for everybody to go around. There is enough fans for everybody to go around. There's enough music. There's enough venues. And it takes all of us because there's something that I can't bring to the table that somebody else needs to, you know, and I, I can't be everything to everybody, but we have to just support each other because we do have such a unique perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, it's all you can do is be, you know, provide or, you know, with, I guess like thinking about art and stuff, you know, all you can do is produce the best thing that you can do, you know, it, it'll either stand yeah. on its own or people won't like it. You know, it's not, it doesn't right. have to do with anybody else. It's just, if it works for you and if it works for the people who are, you know, consuming your music or your art or your whatever it may be, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I see a lot of that. Um, like with the country music industry, obviously the bro country and the pop country, and there's so many views and opinions on that, but it's like, if that's what's selling to somebody, that means somebody's buying it. And so Uh there's people out there that are consuming that. And instead of bashing bro country, pop country, which is never going to go away. Um, you know, just support, go out and go to live shows and watch cowboy musicians if that's what your thing is and buy their music and stream their music and share their music instead of just mm-hmm. creating this hatred around something that we don't like. It's just, it's not meant for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, the more you focus on, <laughs> I don't, you know, the more you focus your heart and your mind on, you know, being a hateful, spiteful person, you know, it, it, it's like caustic. It takes over your whole life, you know? Yeah. You feel that oh, way. It does. Like one, about that one thing, it's like all of a sudden your mindset is just totally awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's addicting too. It is so addicting to sit there and pick apart somebody else and something else. And it's like, you know, that is such a waste of time and energy to, to put out hatred and, um, you know, all of that towards another person or another thing. It's just, you know, create more of what you love and that's, what's going to come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so easy to look outward. It's hard to look inward. (laughs) Absolutely. We're getting so Uh hippy dippy. I love it. (laughs) Hey, you know, that's what it's about though. There's people out here who feel the it same is. way. It is. Yeah. Well, and it's like the Western industry is such an imagery based industry that it's cool to hear people's opinions other than just what they don't like, but like who they actually are and what they actually believe in. It's so refreshing to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's, you know, I love, I love knowing where people come from, you know, like, yeah. Even just looking on your Instagram, I would have been like, oh, West Texas for sure. You know, like, right. You right. Ohio, you know, you just yeah. assume these things about people or. Yeah. Uh, like yesterday was my first photo shoot in a cornfield. <laughs> and like, if, if anybody's never been to Iowa, like that is all we have is cornfields and bean fields. And even if you drive through on Interstate 80, like that is all you will see when it comes to Iowa. And I've always just had cactus around me because that's what I love to look at it. And I think I'm so surrounded by corn that I didn't even realize that that's part of who I am. And so when I do travel and I come back home, I try and notice the things that I have missed. And like I was just in Texas three weeks ago and they've gotten so much rain down there that everything was green. 
And every other time I've been to Texas, you know, it's more desert looking to me as a Midwesterner. It looks more desert. And this time it was green. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would move here in a heartbeat if it was always this green. And I've realized (laughs) just how much I love like this lush landscape. But as a musician and as a, you know, wanting to be more into the influencing and the Western fashion and all that kind of stuff, it just, it seems so Texas centralized. And that's something I get a lot. And so just recently, I've kind of made this switch of like, okay, why is it not okay to just be a Midwestern girl and show that? Because there, I know there's a lot of really cool cowgirls in the Midwest that don't feel represented. So, you know, why can't we start bringing that to the table? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think, you know, the ranchy world is very Western based and, you know, it's you know, food production happens all over the United States. Yeah. And, you know, in the funniest of places, you know, all the dairies and the East coast and, you know, we kind of forget, we forget about all the ag that really surrounds us as a nation. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it's important to, you know, represent these smaller places. It's like, when you think of California, are you thinking of like the hipster, you know, whatever, or are you thinking that there are a lot of agricultural little community communities throughout California that are bringing a ton of milk to the entire U.S. with their dairy cattle? And that's something Texas doesn't even do a lot of is dairy up here in Iowa and Wisconsin. Like we're kind of the heartland of that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think of like the term West to me is West of the Mississippi and I live 15 minutes from it. So I always think like, I'm, I'm Western because <laughs> I'm West of the Mississippi, but I forget people think like Western, they don't think Iowa. <laughs> no, when I think West, I think like, honestly, I think like Rocky Mountain West, you know, yes, that's what I think same. of when I think of the West. That's, but that's, you know, same thing, difference of opinion, but right. everybody thinks of it differently. Yeah. Um, well, and like I struck- last year, I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico for the first time for the Western Music, um, their annual convention. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked at how much, you know, then you get more of the Southwest culture, which is so beautiful. But it's still, it's this mountainous, like higher altitude than I thought it would be. It was like cold there and so beautiful. And it just, it wasn't what I had pictured in my mind as what New Mexico would look like. And I'm like, okay. Mental note, like this is part of the Western culture too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when I was setting up this podcast, it was really, you know, I want, I wanted it to be, you know, inclusive to all these, you know, people associated with agriculture and people associated with the outdoors. And, you know, like I struggled making it sound like it wasn't just like, you know, just ranching, ranch wives, ranch, you know, whatever. Right. Like, you right. know, I think I finally settled on Western lifestyle. That's my yep, yep. <laughs> describing, uh, describing words, but you know, cause some people would think that, <laughs> oh, it's only for ranch wives or, you know, cowboy girls or what have you, you know, and yeah, there's so much more to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love and, that. It's, it's been fun. You know, I wouldn't have thought I'd be talking to a yoga instructor from Iowa, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. Somehow I fit. 
Oh, and so we haven't talked about your music a lot. So do you write your own yeah. songs? I mean, what's, give me a little lowdown on that. How did you get into that I, as well? Um, so when I was three years old, when we lived in Des Moines, my mom was in a cover band. And so that's kind of my first memories of music is her band playing at the Iowa State Fair and me dancing around as a three year old child in like the secondhand smoke and the like light show. <laughs> And like just taking in all of that. And so it started from a very early age of always like the smoke and lights. And again, like the imagery and the, the kind of romanticism of the music industry. And growing up, my mom's parents, my grandparents introduced me to country music. They, you know, played records all the time in their house and they bought me my first guitar when I was 10. Um, it sat in a closet for a few years because it was so big. I couldn't wrap my arms around it. So I definitely did not pick up the guitar and love it. I still don't love it, um, but I enjoy what it allows me to do. So a lot of what I do is just bar gigs, venues, weddings, kind of anywhere that'll pay me to play. I am a full-time musician. And so, you know, getting my bills paid every month is a big part of what I do. But I do write a lot of songs and I love sharing my music on YouTube and Facebook and um playing cowboy poetry gatherings and smaller you know more intimate acoustic venues and places that are really helpful for songwriters to be heard because if i went out to a bar and played my songs you know it's it's just not a cohesive environment for that um so there's a lot of different ways that i do play my music and get it out there but songwriting is always something that's really close to my heart um, I'm getting ready for my next album. And so writing a lot for that project and it's just so fun to me. I just love the songwriting part of it. Awesome. That's so fun. Yeah, no, I was, I was really, I'm guilty. I totally follow you on Instagram and have like never listened <laughs> to any of your music, but I really enjoyed it. I was sitting here this morning, like, thank you. To some music, drinking my coffee before we got on here. And you know, it just, uh, you know, I could have, I could have really easily like just been like, ah, she's some blonde girl from Iowa, you know, <laughs> just another one. And I, I really did enjoy the album and stuff. So I'll make sure to share it. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It sounds, um, I don't know what's the word. It sounds kind of uppity to be like, oh, when you're just a pretty blonde girl, people don't listen to you. But that is the truth. Like people see your picture and they assume that you don't have anything to say. <laughs> or maybe anything of intelligence to say. And I remember like one of the first times I went to Nashville and I had joined NSAI, which is Nashville's Songwriters Association. And I walked into the building for a mentoring session um, with R.C. Bannon, who was married to Louise Mandrell, Barbara Mandrell's sister. And he wrote, I don't have to be me till Monday. And he's just like this awesome guy. But I walked in and he's like, hey, beautiful. How are you? And you know, it, it kind of disappointed me at first, just when people notice my looks first before treating me like a human. And so we sat down and we listened to my music and he looked at me and he's like, I want to apologize to you. I want to step out of this room and I want to come back in and reintroduce myself to you because I didn't take you seriously when you walked in here and wow. you have something to say and this is good stuff. And I'll just never forget that. And I think a lot of men are probably too prideful to do something like that. But it just meant so much to me that he said that. And 
it just, you know, that's my music is it, it speaks for itself, but I think it's kind of a package deal that you understand me more by listening to my music and you understand my music more by, by seeing me and, and hearing me perform and, and the stories behind it. So the artistry part of that is so important to me too, because that's what tells the whole story more than just, I'm a, a musician getting songs in and I'm going to perform them and go on tour and all of this kind of stuff that's manufactured and wear the short shorts. And, you know, um, it's more than that to me. It's a, it's a whole picture. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you, you know, you can tell that when you listen, listen to your albums and your songs and Thank that you. definitely comes through. Yeah. You were talking about, um, reading that book, which you totally need to send me the title of because I am so, <clears throat> those are like my favorite books. Um, when I was reading, it was an old stories of the old West and they Mm -hmm. were talking about, um, the first outlaw ever hanged in the state of Wyoming, who was Charles Martin. And I ended up writing a song about him and it's track five on my album consequences called among the willows. And it's just the true story of the first outlaw ever hanged in the state of Wyoming and kind of how that came about. And, um, you know, his, his journey at at the, to the end of his life and, People would be like, you know, what songs are about you or what's a true story? And it's like, the truth is so much better to write about than anything I could ever come up with. Because what Mm -hmm. happened in the Old West is so much more legit than anything you could ever manufacture in your mind. And I think there's Uh just amazing history that we're missing out on, on telling people about because we're so worried about the imagery of it. And it's like, what about the content and the storytelling and the songwriting? A huge part of that is passing it on to the next generation. So it's not forgotten about. Yeah. Well, and it's not all about love. Yeah. You know, no, there's so many love no. songs. <laughs> just want to hear a few more hits like Claude right. Dallas, you know, that's my, yes. song. Yes. I love that. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's fun yeah. to hear people's stories through that. Not just it is. And I love to tackle like the harder topics too. Like there's a song on there, it's called Wish It Was You. And it's about um PBR bull writer Ty Pazabon that took his own life at 25. And even the topic of mental health in regards to the rodeo and the Western industries, it's such a taboo topic still, even with as much research that's been done and as much um advocating that's been done, it's still this topic that people just don't want to talk about. And so I love to just kind of include some of that in my songwriting to see how it does reach people because there's just amazing stories that have come out of me writing that song and hearing people's feedback. And I'll never forget. There was this woman in Montana. I played the Montana cowboy poetry gathering. And after my show, she just came up to me and she just hugged me and I could just feel her kind of like, let go, like collapse in my arms. Like she was just letting me hold her and all she could get out was thank you. And it's like, you know, I don't know her story. I don't know what inspired that reaction. Just like she doesn't know mine. You know, I, I never knew Ty, but the person that really inspired that song for me was a girl I knew in 4-H that ended up taking her own life. And it's just that connection with people that it's like, if it wasn't for that song, we would have never had that moment. And that's, that's so special to me. Well, and, and people still see it as like a weakness, you know, like, 
Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about it because it's such a weakness, but nobody's heart breaks, you know, harder than like, you know, hearing someone took their own life, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you just have to hope that in telling your story and the stories of other people that we're able to kind of stop this cycle because there's so many similarities when you look at all of these people's lives and it's like, why couldn't we get them the help? It's so frustrating. There's such this, this part of it that's anger is like, why? And I think it's just important to continue to tell the stories and talk about these topics, even though they're hard um, Mm -hmm. to just get it out there. Yeah. Well, and, what I see on Facebook, it was like, you know, check on your strong friends, you know, and I I get, I get the like thing behind that, but I'm like, shut up, check on all your friends, you know, right. Right. Check on all of them, even if they're, you know, yeah, strong or weaker, you know, it's just ask people about it because people are too afraid to talk about it. But if you ask, people usually will answer, you know, truthfully. And if, you know, they don't, that's all you can do is ask, but. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I know for me, like going throughout my, my kind of what my work schedule looks like has changed so much now versus what it was. And a lot of my weekdays are, you know, kind of open to do whatever, whereas my weekends are taken up or I'm traveling. And so it leaves me a lot less time for my friendships. And so I've really Mm -hmm. had to look at, you know, who matters, who can I spend time with and how can I make that time meaningful rather than just sitting in a garage drinking? I mean, that's super fun. But, you know, there's more to it than that. And Mm -hmm. um, so my friends and I, we've started like sending each other postcards. Like my friend sent me this thing in the mail yesterday. And it was, I'm hoping it's a joke, but I don't know. It's an eggplant a day for a year. (laughs) I'm really hoping this isn't a real thing. (laughs) But if it is, like they're a day behind because I haven't gotten the eggplant today. But... (laughs) But just doing little stuff like that, that it's like, you know, I'm thinking of you like I'm, you know, I'm so blessed to be your friend. I'm so thankful for that you're in my life. Um, there are certain days of the week that I, you know, as a person that's a yoga teacher and hopefully spreading the idea of gratitude to other people, I will take the time to text five people that I'm so thankful for and just tell them why they mean something to me. And it's shocking what the replies are to that because sometimes, you know, it just catches people off guard and they're like, I was having such a bad day. And then you said this to me and we get to have these conversations that maybe we wouldn't have gotten to have if I didn't just open up first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all it takes. It's like one person says something and then five people see that they, that person said something and then 25 people, you know, reply to you know, you got to be the ripple in the pond. You got to start it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, we all have times of that. We are feeling more anxious than others, or maybe even periods of time that we're feeling depressed and down. And so I kind of make it a point to be more open with my relationships too, that like, you know, I've just been having a week and I hope that in being open with other people, they feel like they can open up to me when they're having a hard time because we all go through it. And, you know, it's, it's especially hard for men, like, you know, talking to my boyfriend and he just lost his dad in January. And so, you know, trying to be there for him and, and watch this grieving process and see how it is so different for men than for women and what they're Mm -hmm. expected to be like and what emotions should look like for men. And, 
it just really has shown a light to me on, you know, the issue of mental health in the ranching and rodeo industries. It's, it's so, um, such a place that we need a lot of healing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I, you know, you just can't imagine. Can't imagine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So unexpected too. It's crazy. Uh, Yeah. I'm like, you know, it just, the mental health and the what's expected, you know, I was, I I guess I was kind of talking to a boy I liked and he was like, so what's your podcast about? And like, as soon as I really hit the brakes, I was like, uh, and I was like, you know what? It's actually become quite the like mental health platform for women. He was like, Oh, that's really cool. And you know, like, I was like, why did I pop? Why did I pause? You know, like I should be so proud of that. You know, right. like, why did oh my I gosh, pause? Yeah. Well, uh, my leather company is called Crazy Woman Leather Co. So maybe I should uh, <laughs> update. You know, I was like, okay, maybe I sound like right, a nut. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but totally I was like, can why? relate. <laughs> but I was like, why would I ever, you know, I'm so proud of what this podcast has brought forward. Why would I ever discount it or like not tell somebody about it? Because I was yeah. afraid of what they would think, you know, but. Well, and there is such a difference between saying it online and saying mm-hmm. it to someone's face. And that's something that I've struggled with too, like in being open and somebody will come up to me and talk about a post they saw. And I'm like, oh yeah, real people do read that. And I, I, mm-hmm. I always say things with the intention for people to read it. And I always say things with the intention for, you know, to spark conversation and spark interest and to get people's thoughts rolling. But I, sometimes I forget just how much that can impact somebody. And mm-hmm. it, it does take, it takes a bigger set of balls to say it in person than to say something online. And it's, it's such a good practice to have to say it and really stand behind who you're being online, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And not, yeah, not even online. It's just like, you know, even to your loved ones, it's so much easier to text them something like kind of emotional yeah. and vulnerable than yeah. like say it to their face, you know? Right, right. It's so much easier. Or write, you know, write it in a letter or something. It's hard to vocalize that to somebody. Yeah. I just think about like right. how much it means to me when I hear somebody, like when people are really impacted by my music and they look me in the eye and say it to me. Those are the things I want to hold on to way more than, you know, any online connection or, you know, God forbid, a little hate comment or whatever. The stuff I want to hold on to is, is when it's meaningful to people and to just keep following that light instead of, you know, being worried about what people are going to gossip about or how they're going to take something, but rather just focus on what's going right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did. I don't want to keep you here all morning. I mean, I would love to. We're having a great conversation. (laughs) Um, Is there anything else that you want to talk about and touch on? We tried to hit most of the points that you said, I think, but is there anything else that you want to talk about or say or? Not that I can think of. I mean, I'm sure I'll think of a million things the second we get off the phone. That's how it always goes. I'm telling right? you. Right? I'm like, okay, part two. Here we go. <laughs> uh huh. Hey, you know, I, th- I think that might be a theme. Like maybe like part two interviews with like people. I've yeah, talked to. I love that you get, idea. 
you get so much more comfortable. The first, like the first meeting, you know, it's awkward. Right. It's not awkward. It's just, you don't, you know, we don't know each other. Yeah. It gets easier it's as you go. It's the same as like co-writing. It's like going into a room with somebody you just met and being like, here's my deepest, darkest secrets and how I felt about them. And this is the color of my underwear. And like, it just gets <laughs> so down to the point and you're like, whew, okay, just met this person. We're going to go for it. <laughs> You know, sometimes you got it. And sometimes the funnest things happen because of that. That is true. So true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this interview. This was awesome. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did Absolutely. Too. Thank you so much for having me and for having such an amazing platform and using it so well. Well, thank you for that. That means a lot. I think that I'm hoping it's, you know, I know it reaches a lot of people, but I'm sure it reaches more people than I think it does. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to Angela for doing this interview. I'll post links to her social media account so you guys can give her a follow and you can find her album. I found it on Spotify under Angela Meyer. And thank you all for listening. See you next episode.